Insights to Live By, the podcast, discovering new pearls of wisdom to enrich our lives. There is no substitute for experience. And that's the tagline that I've actually been using throughout my entrepreneurial experiences since almost 20 years now. And it certainly segues into my work in and around experiential learning. But I really do believe that experience is the key to career success, personal happiness, lifelong prosperity, and the ability to earn one's freedom. And that brings us to today's guest, who is just a fascinating guy. I was trying to think, well, what what am I going to say in terms of uh, adjectives? I'm just going to say heavy hitter. Okay, so we're going to we're going to bring him in on on the fact that he is a serial entrepreneur, leadership expert, keynote speaker, best selling author of Living an Extraordinary Life, Robert White. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Matt. It's wonderful to be with you. Wow. I have to say, you know, we were talking a little bit pre-show and the fact that you do have yourself quite a uh, uh, storied successes around experiential learning. There aren't many of us on the globe. I have to say, uh, you know, whether you, you know, experiential learning, you know, internships fall into the broader category of what would be considered that. I don't know if you talk about apprenticeships or, or whatnot, but you've, among all of your entrepreneurial endeavors, one of them in, has involved high-impact trainings with different companies, 1.3 million graduates. You've certainly had a, a great impact right there. I'd love to know more about that. Well, it's a long story. Uh, uh, you know, I remember telling myself years ago that I didn't want to become an old guy who told stories all the time. And now I'm an old guy telling stories. But, uh, uh, no, I... Uh, I've had, like most people, formative experiences in my life, uh, turning points or inflection points, whatever you want to call that. Uh, one was that uh, at 27 years old, I was, uh, my life was a mess. I was uh, already divorced, felt really guilty about it, felt, I don't think I had those terms at that time, but I was feeling pretty bad about me. I had uh, a, a failing business, uh, late on payroll, those kinds of things, really struggling to gain traction in my little sales business. And, uh, and I had a severe health problem. I had daily chest pain. I had had three heart attacks that bounced me out of university. Wow, uh, at that age? Yeah, at wow. 19, 19, 21, and 23. And I'd been told I would not live past 35, that it was inoperable and there was no medicine for it and all of that. And a friend who loved and, and really cared for me kind of leveraged me into one of the early human potential movement trainings, one of these experiential learning events back when it was really quite unknown. And I went there with arms crossed, legs crossed, eyes crossed, whatever, really negative, really cynical. And it's a cliche all these years later, but those four days changed my life. Uh, I came out of that. I tripled my income the following year. I multiplied it times 10 the second year. I got a lot better at being in relationship with people. 
and opening myself up, being a bit more vulnerable, uh, even though at that time, I think I, I don't even know what vulnerable meant, <laughs> right. but, I, but I was being that. And that led to me uh, selling the little sales business, moving to New York and going from working with 35 people to being a consultant to a sales force of 800 people. So I could no longer do the, the management of that business one-on-one. And I started doing weekend seminars and I would invite the, the local New York instructor for that experiential learning event. I would invite her in to speak to my team. And, and through that, the two of us enrolled 400 people in that training. So that company knew about me. I didn't know anything about them. I just knew that that training changed my life. If other people went to it, they were easier to manage. It was very selfish, actually. Uh, and uh, uh, so that company knew about me. They invited me to come out to California, meet the founder. And 10 days later, I was president of that company. And that started my career in experiential learning. I worked for someone else for four years. Uh, and uh, but in a highly entrepreneurial environment, right? And then uh, one of the owners died, and it, things got crazy. Uh, so I left. I started a company called LifeSpring. Uh, later, sold that and started a company called Arc, and uh, in Asia. So that's my history. Right. It's, wow. Well, this stuff changed. It changed my life for the better, and I love sharing it with other people. Yeah, I, you know, certainly just the tip of the iceberg as, as I look, uh, you know, in your storied career, I don't think you could call something a cliche when it has that much of an impact on on your actual life. So I'm going to I'm going to push back on that. That's that's wonderful. Um, and you I, I just want to understand a little bit more in terms of the trainings, when you, because experiential learning has an ed- experiential education. You know, it's that broad umbrella. I get asked this all the time. Was it internships? Is it work study? Is it apprenticeships? Um, what is it in your, you know, in your world, when you're talking about that, uh, certainly you have these seminars, but what, when you say I had 1.3 million graduates, what was the program that they were coming through? What were they learning? Uh, all of our programs revolve around a, a simple, but not easy outline. And the outline is this, uh, we pay attention to three things. Number one is completing your past. Uh, most people, I was certainly one of them at 27, are carrying around the burden of blame, shame, regret, guilt, and even past success can be a burden because you think you're, you think you can just keep repeating that and life changes and it generally doesn't work. But we carry blame, shame, regret, and guilt. And so taking the negative energy off of those feelings uh, is freeing. It really frees people. Uh, the second piece is to learn to better tell the truth about current reality. For many of us, we live in this story that serves our image. It serves our, our, uh, stasis, you know, being stuck to use a really technical term. Uh, it's correct. <laughs> the Buddhists call it developing a selfless regard for reality. In other words, getting our ego or image out of the way and just learning to tell the truth about what's in front of us, uh, about us, about other people, about the world, all these beliefs that we gather over the years, most of which we are unconscious about, that prevent us from seeing the truth 
about what's right in front of us. And then finally, if you've done those first two things, if you've kind of dealt with letting go of your past and you've learned to tell the truth about what's right now, what's present, then you've created the space to choose your future. Uh, most people are, are, you know, the, the physical way of saying it is that they're, they're taking their past and trying to throw that into the future. And it never works. It just never works. Maybe it's their education. Maybe it's they were the high school quarterback. Maybe it's that they're the prettiest girl. You know, all of this stuff that kind of worked for us at one point. It, throwing that into the, your future is, is almost never successful. And uh, uh, so in the trainings, we help people do those three things. To clear their past, tell the truth about current reality, and get excited and passionate about a future that is their own choosing. It's not their parents. It's not the culture. It's not what's right. It's not what other people are going to admire necessarily, but it's what's right for you. And, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't invent this expression of living your, uh, ex your authentic self, but that, that's, uh, that's what really what it comes down to. Yeah, that's spot on. I mean, it must be so rewarding, you know, for people who are committed to themselves to, to go through that, to know that you're having that impact, you know, through the commitment that they have, the, how many, you know, I know it's, you know, we're of like mind in terms of, you know, wanting to impact others' lives. There's other things that, that you are doing, you know, not only through your book, but, but currently uh, I'd love to talk with you about. I'm also, also interested you have lived in a number of different places, uh, particularly in, in the, the Far East, um, including Japan. And you've been in China for like the last five years or so, right? Did you just return back from there? Is that right? I did. I came back uh, March 1st. And uh, so I'm kind of reacclimating to being a, a resident of America and reconnecting with people and beginning to do my work here locally. What were you doing in China for five years? I was doing high impact experiential learning events for still do, doing that executives. Yes. Wow. And in building uh, my the company, Arc International, which I was 22 years of work, uh, you know, we eventually had 240 people, 70 full time trainers, some brilliant people. And I only led one training a year, five days a year. Uh, and I did, it was called the Aspen experience because I could, I could do it from my home. <laughs> right. I, right. You're, you're in Aspen. Now, so, I mean, so you're in China. I, I mean, you're spending all that time there and yet you have, um, my understanding, you know, a, a very, uh, nice place to be in Aspen. Um, why didn't you let me know that it wasn't being used? That was really the main question. <laughs> well, I, 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 unfortunately, because of, uh, of divorce, I sold that home. Ah, uh, and, got it. And, but uh, when I, all of those years, I never saw myself as a trainer. Now, in the early days in a startup, you know, you do everything. So I led trainings. But for most of my period with in building ARC, uh, I trained trainers and I supervised trainers. And, you know, so I, I wasn't in the room. I, I didn't get the excitement from being in front of the room. I mean, I'm a severe introvert on all those tests. And uh, so it didn't nourish me. Uh, I liked being in the back of the room. I liked right. seeing, seeing I, I liked knowing that I had something to do with putting those people in those seats and watching what happened for them 
uh, through the guidance of these brilliant trainers. And I, you know, I attempting to be uh, kind of just straightforward and honest, about one third of our trainers of that 70 were immensely better than me. I mean, this was their love, their passion. They prepared themselves magnificently. They were brilliant. Uh, one third were average uh, trainers in, in, from my point of view, and I was in that one third. And then one third are people that are learning, growing, you know, working on their stuff. Right. Uh, but when I went to China, I was asked to go back into the training room and something changed over the years, Matt. I loved it. I enjoyed it. Uh, I was nourished by it and, uh, and was able to contribute and produce some, some pretty good results. But in the process of living life, I changed is what I figured out finally. Well, it's funny because when I heard you say, you know, how you score on the personality tests and, you know, certainly we, we began with no substitute for experience and how we all grow. I used to score introvert all the time, which I find people are surprised by. But now I actually score the E. I, I finally transitioned into the E. So I can relate. I was always like right down the middle, you know, um, but but that's wonderful. And it's really what fills you up. Right. Yes. Whatever that is, uh, if 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 being in front of the room, you know, used to be something that uh, wasn't your your joy, but then became it. Uh, you know, you're you're definitely somebody who you know clearly has uh, you know has has earned uh, a lot of fulfillment through the lives that you've and continue to impact. Now, we could go in so many different directions here, Robert. It's funny. One of the things I when we were joking around before the. the you know, I know you said you used to go by Bob. People call you Bob, but then it was something else when you were in China. And I grew up on Bob, <laughs> Bob White Lane. That was the first thought I had right. <laughs> when I came up to Bob White. I'm like, I got to interview this guy. But of course, it was really more than that. Um, what is one of the things that I'm really curious about, because you are working with companies, you're talking to them about their culture and how are you finding and what recommendations do you have that organizations are now, you know, in the cultural pivot, uh, particularly with Corona and or more commonly COVID. And how do they maintain that cultural cohesiveness uh, and, and people maybe feeling isolated, you know, be, being at home and making people feel part of a team? Are you experiencing that now in terms of how you're helping uh, companies adjust to the cultural shift? You know, the, uh, there are some truisms from people like Peter Drucker and other kind of pioneers in leadership and management thought. And one of them is that Drucker was quoted as saying, and, and I've researched this a little bit, some other people said it probably before he said it, but he was published and they weren't. Uh, and that is that culture uh, eats strategy for breakfast. You know, that uh, culture is the single most important thing for a leader to pay attention to. My statement, uh, when I was attempting to put a speech together years ago, and you know, you want to be a little bit controversial. So I said that the only unique role of a leader is the creation, communication, and maintenance of a common purpose, vision, and values for the organization. Now, the reality is most people in companies get caught up in 
the quarterly results, which are usually defined as revenue and expenses and stuff like that. Right. So they're not, they, they can mouth the words that culture is important. Most people can, but most of them really don't pay attention to it or they delegate it to the human resource department. And yet I have developed the belief in my own personal experience and including failure that uh, paying attention to purpose, vision, and values, those cultural aspects is the single most important thing a leader does. It's not the quarterly results. Right. It's, you know, it is uh, how things are done around here. You know, that kind of loose, but very accurate definition of culture. How are things done around here? How do we make our decisions? What are we really up to? Uh, what are we passionate about? What would we do even if we're not being paid? You know, those kinds of questions. And uh, it's in times of great change, and we certainly are experiencing that, it's more important than ever before. It is for the average person, what's missing in their lives is meaning and purpose. And we spend one third of our life working roughly you better have meaning and purpose in that one third of your life. Hopefully you have it in the rest of your life. That would be ideal. But uh, in organizations today, what's the meaning and purpose? Not just survival or not even industry dominance or you know all of these reasons that people do what they do. Uh, what's, what are we really about here? What is our purpose, our unique reason for existing? What is our, our, uh, our, what are our values and are we living them? Do they show up in behavior? And what is our, our vision? What is the contribution that we're committed to in the world? What's the bigger dream? Maybe even bigger than we could ever accomplish in our lifetime, but it's what, it's what motivates people. I right. mean, there's a zillion, a zillion studies that income doesn't motivate people. Right, absolutely, absolutely. And it, it does... You know, it's funny because I feel like my consulting hat, right, coming back on, I, I couldn't agree with you more. It has to come from the CEO, uh, you know, and with all due respect to all the great human resources people out there, they get very bogged down. Um, they're, they're not necessarily, you know, they have a hard enough time getting a seat, you know, at the C-level uh, table. And it really shouldn't be coming from them. It has to come from the leadership. And then on the other side, the leadership gets so caught up in short-term thinking, all about quarterly results and, uh, you know, comparisons to the prior, uh, you know, quarter or year and not really opening up and, and, and leading. And I, I, I couldn't agree more. It is that much more important now with, with the cultural shift that's going on. And you would think with all the, you know, the, the Druckers and all the studies and, and everything that's now known, that you would see more of that adjustment by CEOs, but I'm not really sure that I, I think that that cultural shift about cultural shift has really taken hold. What, what's your experience there? Uh, they, the majority still are paying attention to uh, 80% of their, their time goes into people problems and 20% is about strategy and stuff like that. I mean, that's, that's more common but there's an increasing number of people that are paying attention to culture. Uh, I think uh, culture has taken a, a backseat, unfortunately, to uh, this cancel culture stuff and all of the social breakdown in, in America. That's what I'm noticing coming back from China is that uh, there, there's no question about 
the you know the focus alignment and commitment in a Chinese company, but it's just absolutely it's just ordered. <laughs> you know right yeah easier <laughs> in an authoritarian uh right. society i get and it. we could we come back here and uh where uh a few zealots in an organization can can bend it and it's easier for a ceo to just kind of go along with that and go back to paying attention to the zillion details that it, he or she does have to pay attention to uh but it, increasingly there are people that are seeing that bringing meaning and purpose to my team's life in general and to this company uh, is a winning game. And we can quote lots of companies that make all kinds of mistakes, but they get that one right. If they do, they're growing, they're getting better. And uh, it's, it's more common and it's not common enough. I love that. That sounds like a Zism. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie, Robert. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, to that end, I'm happy. I'm happy to contribute to yes. your uh, to next book. Well, uh, <laughs> no, my my next book is. I couldn't tell you when. I've put everything into, into the current one. I, give me ten more years. We'll see. Now you have uh, twenty eight. You have a twenty eight page, uh, eight principles of success that you share. And some of these we need probably, I imagine, we'll need to save for our official insights to live by conversation uh, later on. I just thought it was really interesting, you know, that you also, you know, the experiential learning, all the things that you're doing around uh, executive uh, coaching and culture also have this this drive to impact the individual and to live the life that, uh, as you put it, that you were born to live. Um now, are, are those eight principles something to talk about now, or should we hold on to those a little bit for? Uh, we for, can we can maybe not talk about them individually, but people can easily get the uh, the document and it's free. Uh, look, we uh, we noticed something when we started reaching thousands of people a month uh, in our personal growth trainings, and that is that the you know the training is the same for everybody that goes in. The trainer's the same, the room is the same, the content is the same, and people do have different experiences, but the framework is all the same. And yet, and and we had a money-back guarantee, and uh, over the years, 1.3% asked for their money back. So, uh, and we monitored that. You know, if it, if it went a little higher, we started looking at what we were doing, and if it went lower, we thought, yeah, we're on the right track. Uh, but people loved our training, and they got value from it. But some people went out of that training, always the same training, same room, same content. Some people went out and grabbed the gold ring. You know, they, they just did something with it that was absolutely stunning. I mean, I can, I can tell you success stories for hours uh, because I sort for that. That's what I look for, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so, of course, I'm gonna, I've got to find it. Uh, but I started wondering why. Why do some people get so much more value out of that experience? And uh, so we researched it. We interviewed over a thousand successful people and we sorted specifically for that, for success. Hmm. And what we learned was that they came into the training with certain principles that served them well in the training. And originally we identified five and eventually eight. Every one of them is something you already know, your listeners already know, everybody already knows. 
things like being honest, being clear about what you want, working in partnership, expressing yourself. That, you know, those are some of the found the, the foundational principles. foundational principles. Right. And they lived them in the training. Therefore, they got more value from the training and from what they learned there and, and could apply it in the world. So over a 30-year period, I've researched that and watched it in my own experience and other people's experience. And one day, somebody kind of shamed me into writing about it. And that finally led to this document about creating extraordinary success, these eight leadership principles. And uh, so we make them available on, it's on my website, extraordinarypeople.com. And, you know, people can go through it. And there's a self-evaluation. There's a little testing kind of thing in it uh, to kind of get you into it without being in the seminar. And, uh, but we, we start every one of our trainings by saying, here's the eight principles, having people rate themselves where they are, because on these, these very common things like express yourself, there's plenty of people that know that they need to do that, but don't do it. Right. So, you know, that's an area of growth. That's, that's something specific you can work on to take it from generalized personal growth into something specific that you can set some goals on and get a little bit better uh, at. Uh, so it's, it's been a big part of our work over the years. And so it's kind of fun to make it available free because of the internet. Absolutely. And we will have in the show notes how people can get that. We'll talk a little bit more at the end. We certainly mentioned it there as well. But be you know, before we get to our insights to live by, Robert, we have a segment on the show where we like to get some insights about you. And what you're seeing now on the screen is our wheel of insights here about you, Robert White. And uh, we're going to spin this. And there's 12 different questions on here. I assure you that wherever it lands, you are going to have an answer. Probably not even going to have to hesitate. So we're going to we do this a few times. And the first one, interestingly, goes to what inspires you? What inspires you? That, that, that's such a broad question. Could be anything. What comes to mind? Uh, being in the back of those training rooms and seeing people take on their lives, really take them on, really uh, just very honestly and openly work on themselves. And, and you get to see this incredible person come out. You know, I, I have eight children, and, uh, but two of them are adopted special needs kids. And uh, uh, Levi, we adopted him at three and a half. He had been horribly abused, actually tortured. I mean, Levi has six cigarette burdens on his back in a pattern wow. and, and, and worse things happen than that. If you can imagine worse things than that, they happen to Levi. And we struggled with him for uh, four years in our home and some really bad, I mean, we made some progress. Uh, it's called attachment disorder. It's when kids are abused and they no longer trust the most important people in their lives, right. their mom and dad. And because that's who did the abuse. And uh, uh, it's extremely difficult to treat. So, and, you know, he, he badly injured two of our daughters and some bad stuff happened. Sure. So we put, we put him into this uh, program called the Attachment Center. And there were two weeks where uh, they worked intensively with him. And we had to watch through one-way glass every moment of the treatment for legal reasons. And also occasionally, because the therapist had a bug in their ear and we had a mic. 
right? Wow. And it, it didn't happen very often, but sometimes we could add some insight that would be helpful. Uh, it was the most amazing uh, two weeks in my life. Like I'm noticing getting a little uh, yeah, well, <laughs> emo that, I mean, emotional about it. Well, for but, what it took to get to that the, point, right? Yeah. Where, you, where you got to that point to even do that, that in the first place to see how transformational it was. And yeah. what, what and was the outcome? He, well, when he broke through, when he told the truth about, and, and what he remembered from his, from his first three and a half years would blow you away. And, and we suddenly saw this little boy that we knew was there all the time. Well, I get to do that now with adults all of my life. Today, Levi's a college graduate. It took him seven years, not four. He's uh, married with two wonderful children, a wonderful wife. Uh, he is a uh, uh, certified wild wildlands firefighter. Wow! He's one of those. He's one of those guys that you see surrounded by fire. Scares me. I, I I'm not a worrier, but I'm constantly concerned about him. Not being the safest alive. job, but it's not the certain... safest job. But he's a wonderful, wonderful young man. And if you have the pleasure of getting to know him a little bit and some trust gets built, he can tell you what happened to him and tell you what he needed to do to get to put that behind him, to allow himself to love and be loved. It is, it's very moving. I've, I've seen him do it a few times with people and it's, it impresses me. But that's still what inspires me the most is seeing people uh, live, move to that moment of living the life they were born to live. It's so, I mean, how much more transformational can, can it be and how fortunate he is uh, and was uh, that you were there for him and that you, you did that for him, you know, what he needed. And now, you know, these many years later, you know, he has uh, the life that he does as a result. And, you know, that's certainly a reflection. And, you know, in your trainings, you know, there's an energy transfer, right? When, you, yes. when, when you're experiencing people and you've benchmarked them and, you know, and they're growing and, you know, they experience it too. Uh, it really does feed on itself. Um, and, and I'll, I'll tell you for a question that says, what inspires you? That's a pretty good answer, Robert. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to give that to you. So we're going to go, we're going to go back here and see uh, what might I, inspire you this time. <laughs> Ooh, you know, I almost didn't, this is, this is not the easiest question. And it says your 2000, your 2000 time capsule, what do you wish that you would have put in a time capsule in the year 2000 as it relates naturally to the year 2021? Not the easiest question. I could wow. buy you some time here. I could. I, I think, could, uh, yeah. you know, that I've, I've been constantly surprised at how my life turned out. You know, I, uh, growing up in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and, and uh, I never imagined that I would have visited 42 countries and, and met three presidents, uh, two kings and an emperor. I, I just, I, I never envisioned that. I mean, I know I, I knew I didn't want to be poor again. You know, that, that was clear. And I had this nagging feeling that I was supposed to be doing something, but I, I had no idea what it was. And in the year 2000, I think I, I was a lot more clear but what I would have put in the time capsule was, uh, and it's kind of an error, I 
I didn't realize the amount of change for me and for everybody else. I didn't see that. I thought it was going to, I thought my life was going to kind of progress in kind of a measured way, a gradual way. Hmm. And I, I would have put, I would have, I'm not the best planner. It's not my strength at all. Um, you know, I, I'm intuitive and all that stuff, but, but somehow when I am challenged, like you would be with a time capsule, you have to project, right? I think I would have projected a gradual change in my life and a lot more certainty than a way it actually has turned out. It's I, interesting. I it's interesting to hear you describe as, as you did. That's a great answer, by the way. And I, I wonder in, in now having described your expectations then and of course you know you wouldn't have expected that what has happened and it sounds like things have turned out better than you had anticipated in addition to the fact that you um you know had uh, a, you know, a good living uh, that was i'm sure and continues to be well earned um that you let life unfold instead of over planning it you know, trying to over plan and live life by design as opposed to deciding to trust your intuition, to uh, go with that flow and figure out, you know, how to let life unfold rather than over managing it. It sounds like that that happened for you to a degree. Yes. And also uh, in the last uh, 20 years, I, or if I would have been predicting back then, uh, I, you know, Levi's birth sister, uh, who we also adopted, was born addicted to crack. And uh, at that time, and in the year 2000, uh, we were hopeful that her life would just get better and better. And it didn't. It got worse and worse. I mean, she has permanent brain damage and, uh, and is pretty much, uh, as an adult, makes really bad decisions. And her mom and I support her. Uh, uh, and it... So it didn't turn out well. So there's been that too. And learning to deal with that uh, first emotionally, it's painful, uh, a pain that I've, I've never experienced in any other setting. And at the same time, um, self-affirming because you find out what you can do under pressure. You find out what you can do even when you don't like it, you don't feel good about it. You're, it's not like uh, your prayers don't come true. Hmm. Yeah, you know, your hopes get dashed and life goes on and there's still, uh, there's still a contribution to be made and that you got to kind of suck it up and make that contribution. So, right. yes, I mean, my life's been amazing and, and, and extraordinary actually, and very rewarding in many, many ways, but it's also, you know, I've had my share of, of difficulties. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, we have no choice, right? We have to deal with things in real time. It's like you were talking about with your program and, you know, the past doesn't necessarily do us that many favors, uh, you know, on an, you know, on an ongoing basis, but, you know, you do have to, uh, you know, shift with the tide and, and, and it challenges you in ways you could never expect. And, you know, when I was looking at the time capsule question, I just had this quick flash, like it almost went the other way. Like I would have told myself in the year 2000, like buy Amazon or some company Amazon <laughs> is coming. I was kind of like, oh, wait, no, that's not like the question. That <laughs> that's not the question. I, I guess I can't answer or go back now. We'll have to figure out what uh, what's next there. All right, so go do this one more time. And then we're going to go right. to your insights to live by.
Ah, <laughs> it almost landed on one and creeped right to the next. Hidden talents, a hidden wow. talent that you that you have. Now, for you, uh, you know, we've talked about across the board. You've honed your talents. You share your talents. Not many might be hidden. You you might have to reach for the hidden talent <laughs> in answering this question. Uh, do you color inside the lines? I mean, that's basically. I don't know. Look, I, uh, I, I, whether it's a good or a bad thing, uh, I don't color at all. You know, I, because it's just not an interest of mine. I, whatever I am really interested in, I, I commit myself and I'm, I'm full on about it until I'm not. And, uh, and I guess that maybe that's a hidden talent, except, you know, people will come up to me and say, I don't know how you got that done. You know, I have no idea how you got that done. And actually, I don't know how I got that done. It's just that I have learned that if I'm really committed to something, right, or like in a coaching environment, if I'm really committed to that person, uh, uh, we're going to get something done that whatever, whatever they wanted to get out of the relationship, it's going to get done. Uh, if I don't think I can get it done, I introduce them to someone else, quite frankly. Uh, I'm like that, you know, I think that's a, I think that is kind of a hidden talent that gets noticed after the fact, you know? Right. Yeah. No, it's universal. It's like whatever comes your way. Right. And, you know, I I get it. There is no halfway as far as, as, you know, when there are things to be done. Go ahead. I have some amazing friends and one of them is a guy named, uh, I always think about him as double K, Kevin Knabel, K-N-E-B-L. Kevin Knabel is an, a, a, an incredibly successful public speaker, and uh, and he's really a personal development trainer under the guise of public speaking. But he's he's amazing, and he makes the big bucks, and highly in demand. And uh, uh, when he first started really being successful, we were having lunch, and I said, uh, uh, you know, to, uh, you must be getting other opportunities. He said, oh yeah, you know, people come to me with book ideas. They come to me with recorded programs. They want a joint venture on this, joint venture on that, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And that's happened in my life. I'll bet it's happened in yours. You know, that when you start being a little more public, you start, people start thinking, if I could kind of get in business with him hmm. or with her, you know, things are going to be better for me. That's kind of where it's coming right. from. I got you. So I said, uh, he said, it's, it's, uh, he said it was, it was kind of bothering him because it was constant and it was taking up a lot of his time because he's very public in, in social media and stuff like that. Uh, and, uh, I said, well, what are you, what are you going to do about it? He said, I've already done it. He said, I have, I, I have a new test. If somebody comes to me with an idea of something they want to do with me, I have one of two answers within three minutes. I said, Oh, what's the answers? And he said, hell yes, or hell no. And <laughs> a little Smart. bit color, a little bit colorful. And then I, he said, if it's, if it's uh, hell no, then it's, it's not something I have to think about. It, it didn't feel right. Something was about it. It wasn't right. Maybe it was the best idea in the world, but it's, it's not going to work for me right now. If it's hell yes, it doesn't mean I'm going to do it, but it means I'm going to invest the time, the energy to get to know that person to get to know the idea, to really dig into it. And uh, I, I, as I, when I, I remember at lunch thinking, that's like really practical wisdom. 
you know? <laughs> for sure. For sure. I mean, you know, there is no, there is no time or energy to waste when there is so much to uh, achieve. And, and, you know, that, that goes hand in hand, you know, it's a two way street, you know, who are those people? And, you know, they're putting themselves out there as well. And, you know, you want to do right by the people who put their faith in you too. And, you know, uh, I like what you said, because sometimes it's very hard to say no. And, yes. you know, you can say to somebody, you know what, that sounds wonderful. It's a great idea. It's just not the right thing for me right now. And right. it's hard to take that personally, but it's certainly the right <laughs> way to say no. You know when to say no. So that is going to transition us into your insights to live by. And we, we talked a bit about this pre-show, of course. And, and I'm like, Robert, three could be hard for you. <laughs> how do you narrow but what we're but that is the task before you and if you uh, have something that's you know just really that one let's save that for the third and um you know let's talk about each one uh, that you come up with so uh robert white what is your first insight to live by it is uh awareness that waking up uh being present i mean the great teachers throughout the history of mankind have taught that you need to become present in uh, in my younger days it was you know be here now was the book to read right right and and uh, yet that's just a, a rephrasing of what buddha taught and what christ taught and what uh confucius taught is be present right but to be present means that you have to wake up to really what's happening around you to really have a, a bigger awareness of yourself and others. So the first one is to grow steadily in awareness. Uh, my former wife is really brilliant. And she said, uh, she talked about it as a, a, a bigger state of noticing, just really noticing. Right. Uh, I remember being in eighth grade, not wanting to be in school like everybody else. And I took a general science class and the instructor, Dr. Hansen, you always have that teacher that you really remember? Sure. That's mine. Mr. Hansen in general science. He said, uh, uh, he called on several, guy, uh, several people in the class to describe their walk to school. And he, they did that. And then he described their walk to school in incredibly richer detail. And they were walking from, you know, 360 degrees, right, to school. But he knew the neighborhood well enough. And he was able to describe it in a way that brought the whole walk to life for me, and I'm guessing for the rest of the class. Hmm. And uh, it was the best school year that I remember because he didn't, he didn't just teach science. He taught having a bigger, a better state of noticing, noticing the uh, nature, noticing the people in your life, noticing yourself. And so aware, developing a bigger, better state of awareness is uh, uh, essential. And, uh, and, and it, you know, I named my biggest success company, ARC, A-R-C. And those are, it's an acronym. And that A is for awareness. So we taught it. We tried to live it. I believe in it. My book is based on it. So. Right. Well, certainly. Well, I, I like the state of noticing and, you know, I, I, you know, you're right. You know, it comes through time and Eckhart Tolle and then power of now. And that, now we're really yeah. into, uh, you know, mindfulness. That, that's 
That's really the, you know, that's the state of noticing, like, right? you know, the state of <laughs> noticing. I, you know, it, it is spot on. Now, what do the R and the C stand for? You have to finish the, the that explanation. Yeah. The R is responsibility. That's taking personal responsibility for your life. That uh, getting off of blaming your parents, your boss, the economy, uh, politics, uh, take your pick. Um, I it, It's what turned my life around at 27. It's still what we uh, base all of our teaching on is to really own your life. Now, did we just backdoor into your uh, second insight to live by? Is that where you were going next? Or that well, was something else? Is respon no, responsibility is oh, okay. taking was, personal responsibility. It, it started to sound just like it. I asked about the R and I'm like, wait a second. I think we're into the second insight. <laughs> yes, we are. Perfect. And the C is uh, uh, communication. Everything happens in communication. Uh, anything you want in your life, it's going to be dependent on your ability to give and receive communication. And uh, so getting yourself out of the way and really communicating, uh, you know, if you, if you take a look at that word and back to the Greek, it's held in common. That, that's the definition of, of behind communicating is, <laughs> is it held in common? Are we connecting with people uh, uh, with ourselves first and then with other people? in an integrated and, and uh, integral way. Uh, so uh, if you get better in those three areas, awareness, personal responsibility, and communication, your life will transform just in the process of living it. Well, well I didn't realize coming into the show that you already had your three insights you know, in an acronym to begin with. You already <laughs> had the ARC. You know, I... I, I I have to say, I'm a little concerned about the communication side also with what's going on. And, you know, with, in terms of my work with employers, I'm sure that you experience this too. Certainly the number one, I'm going to digress here for a moment, but certainly the number one demand and rightfully so is for interpersonal communication and, you know, in working with, uh, you know, emerging professionals and what have you, you know, that's what the employers want and that's what they really lack most. And some of it has to do with technology and, you know, just not getting exposed to it. And, you know, it's like if you call someone on the phone now, it's like, why are you calling me? You know, like I have a text or why don't you DM me? Or, you know, it just keeps getting more and more isolated. I've seriously had that to younger people. I'm like, I still use the telephone, you know, and uh, it, it's funny because, you know, just to see how things shift, it's going the wrong way. And now, you know, we're all the more isolated. And I, I, I think the impact is far from known because we are social creatures, not only because of the isolation, but because we are not honing our communication skills and, you know, what we, what we need from that for success in life and fulfillment and, and everything we're talking about insights to live by. Any, any thoughts to add to that? You know, my first career was in radio, which is broadcasting. It's one way. And I, I still love radio, it's the theater of the mind. But, uh, and I was hugely successful as a teenager. You know, at, at 17, I had the highest rated radio show in Wisconsin, uh, and I made more money than my father ever made. But when I look back on it, it was because my audience was me. So it actually was kind of a two-way communication. I was, you know, at evenings and weekends, which is when I worked, I was going to high school. Uh, 
that who are the listeners? Teenagers, just like me at that time. Radio was everything. It was, you know, TV was kind of new and uh, music is on the radio and there's not a streaming service. There's not a CD player. You know, <laughs> radio was big. Right. But the audience was me, uh, you know, multiplied by hundreds of thousands, but it was me. Uh, so it was kind of two way. And that's what allowed me to be successful. Texting and DM and, you know, all of this stuff tends to go back to being broadcasting. Hmm. It is not that, again, that, that definition of communication is held in common. And, uh, and also, uh, you know, like with you and I right now, we, can, we get more than we could ever imagine from facial expression. Right. Right, from eye contact. And when that's not present, you know, you're taking away that ability to get held in common. Uh, and so we, we've developed some habits with this incredible technology that take us further and further away from really sh having a shared body of knowledge and a sense of that other person and what's important to them. Uh, so it becomes like broadcasting. Right. And, you know, and I, I, I can follow into it, fall into it very easily, personally. I mean, I will contradict myself just a little bit because thank goodness for Zoom. As you say, as I'm sitting, you know, we're looking at one another and what would we do without it? And, and there has been, you know, on the flip side of that pendulum swing, the opportunity to spend different, have different experiences with the people we wouldn't have otherwise. Uh, but uh, I was also listening to you talk about entertaining yourself and I have to laugh at myself because, you know, in being an entrepreneur and, and, you know, I'm coming up on 20 years and who's around, but to entertain yourself. And so I was on a call <laughs> earlier today uh, with, with our interns and I started cracking jokes and I'm just laughing and they're just looking at me and they're kind of chuckling along, but I'm like, I realized I'm not cracking jokes for them. I'm just cracking jokes to make myself laugh. That's, that's basically like, that's, you know, you just get in that rhythm, you know, of, of working for yourself. Yeah. Like who else is going to keep us entertained? So I'd love to find out more about where people can find you. And we're going to certainly have that in the show notes, but before we do that, would it be okay if we go to the wheel one more time? Do we have time uh, for that for one more wheel question? Sure. Just like where, where could it end? Like you already got the, I think the two toughest ones. We ended up with favorite pastime. This, 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 is a, this is a softball. I wonder what <laughs> your favorite pastime is. Sounds like it's a baseball thing, but it could be anything. What is your favorite pastime? Well, away from, uh, my work is my favorite pastime. And unfortunately, or fortunately, that's just true. I love being in the training room. I love being one-on-one -on -one in a coaching relationship. I love running groups. Uh, I just love it. Uh, away from work. I, uh, I, I mean, I love uh, basketball, profession, especially professional basketball. I love music and particularly live music in any genre from classical to blues to, uh, well, maybe not rap, but. Hmm. No uh, hip hop for you, huh? No, no hip hop. On the other hand, I love this, the uh, slam poetry, ah. which is kind of, kind of like rap, you know, uh, but uh, I love I love live music. I've uh, you know that's maybe that started in in radio. You know, yeah. being a disc, disc jockey for eight years. But uh, I I love live music particularly, and that's so that's been a little difficult in the last year. 
for you. Yes, uh, yes, it, yes, it has. Um, well, you know, when we say favorite pastime, and you can speak to it being, you know, your your professional endeavors. You know, that's a win-win, right? Good for you, and 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 all the more also for everyone else who gets the benefit from uh, everything that you continue to do in personal development. And uh, I just thank you so much for sharing everything that you have. Uh, along those lines, we could certainly have a longer conversation with all the things that we have to talk about. But we we are going to wind down here. Where can people find you? Uh, anything you'd like to talk about? What's what's next for you? Uh, you know, a little time of, of whatever you'd like to say. Ultimately, I'm looking for people on a growing edge where, they, you know, they, they're up to something or they're up against something and they know they need some work. They know they need some work on themselves and on their future. Uh, and the way I do that is by staying in touch with people with, you mentioned the extraordinary minute. You know, I, I publish it every Wednesday morning at 10 o'clock. Uh, it's, it's part of my life. And, uh, so go to extraordinarypeople.com, sign up for the extraordinary minute, email me, call me, you know, I'm easy to reach and, yeah. uh, uh, and we'll talk, you know, there, maybe there's something we're supposed to be doing together. Maybe we're just supposed to be friends and trade stories. So, uh, I'm back in the U S I'm looking for people where my unique skill set can support them in living the life that they were born to live. Absolutely. Well, thank you. That's that's the perfect recap. Robert White, thank you so much for being our guest today. And I absolutely look forward to staying in touch for sure. Thank you. I'm happy to contribute to Zisms. Absolutely. Some new <laughs> ones to say the least. Right. Be well. Thank you. It was a pleasure, Matt. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Insights to Live By. Be sure to connect with me on Instagram and Twitter at Matthew Zinman and join our community at InsightsToLiveBy.com. Wishing you and yours an enriching day, and we'll see you next time.